Ephesians 1. Uh, first question is this. What is our inheritance? What is our inheritance? Of course, you all see that we have, we have people missing today and, and, are, and are out. Uh, spring break is this week, and so people are out and about, as well as, I think, sickness. And, and um, um, Pastor Bill and, and Miss Karen are, are uh, in South Carolina. They have a, a new great-granddaughter. Is he old enough to have a great-granddaughter? I guess, I guess so. That's kind of weird, but he has a great-granddaughter, and so they were visiting South Carolina, and so it was a, a really good opportunity and chance for him to get there and, and see them. So we want to be praying for them, uh, that they have a wonderful time, but they, of course, come back safely this evening. Uh, so our first question, what is our inheritance? Second question, what is our union with Christ mean? What is our union with Christ mean, or what does Probably would be better English. Excuse my bad language there. What is our union with Christ mean, or what does our union with Christ mean? And number three, how do we respond to the glory of God? How do we respond to the glory of God? All right, so uh, I want to start off before we really dive into the text by just kind of talking personally with, with you all um, uh, and, and, and just kind of talk about where we are and what's going on and, and, and things like that um, and maybe even some encouragement. And that's, that's my hope, right, is encouragement. Uh, and, and the first thing I want to, to mention is um, last, last Sunday was our, was our first Easter Sunday that we celebrated together. Um, and, and I don't know ab- about you, but I thought it was a marvelous day. Um, I, I really do. Uh, with our, with our, our gathering in, in the morning and our service and taking the Lord's Supper together, uh, me being able to lead you all in the Lord's Supper for the very first time uh, was such a delight, uh, as well as the afternoon, going to the, to the Deals Pond House and being able to have a wonderful afternoon. Uh, I mean, who needed the rain? I mean, the rain was there, but we didn't, who cares, right? We, we just had a, a marvelous time. Um, I stood closer to Mr. W.R. than I ever had before because we were all so tight. <laughs> we all stood closer and sat closer than everybody than ever before. Lots of bubbles were being blown, and, and it was just a marvelous, marvelous time. Um, and, and I, I kind of put this in my notes here that, that last Sunday was sort of an altar-building moment for, my, for me. In the Old Testament, when the, uh, when the Israelites would see just kind of a miraculous thing of the Lord, they would build an altar and they'd consecrate that time, and they would say, see, children, this is what God is doing. And, and that was an altar-building moment for, for me, and I hope it was for, for you all as well. And, and here's why. Here's why it was such an altar-building. Not just that we had a great time, and we really did, um, but it was such a, uh, an, an evidence, I think, of God's grace. Um, and, and evidence of God's grace. And, and I'm seeing that in, in, in all of us. I, I see us, us, us flourishing in areas and places that we've never flourished before in our life, and that is in the evidences of God's grace. And, and we're doing it personally. We had been doing it over the years personally, but now we're doing it corporately. And the evidences of that is, is the fellowship that we experience on Sunday. The evidences of that is the, the services that we have. The evidences is when we, when we see one another. The evidences of that is when you remember this church and this body and you remember one another throughout the week and you're praying for one another and caring for 
for one another. The evidence is in that. And, and I, I wish I could kind of sit here and, and unpack more of these evidences of God's grace in this work that's been going on. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing to, to us as the elders. It's mind-blowing to see how God is, is working. Now, let me tell you my temptation. My temptation, and I think even some of y'all's as well, and, and let's, just, let's just kind of drag it to the light so we can talk about it, we can deal with it, and then we can just kind of kick it out. And, and that is this. When we show up and we're only a meager 20 people, we get discouraged. And it only takes one family not showing up, and it feels, it feels like it's hurt when you walk in, right? I, I feel that. And I, I have temptation to fear. I have temptation to doubt. Lord, what are we doing? Right? Am I the only one? Am I the only one feeling that? Right? Temptation to fear, temptation to doubt. Because, because we've always kind of been taught that small means dying. Right? That small means dying. Unless it's a baby, then hopefully not. Look at Lydia on an iPhone. That's whack, man. That's whack. That is unhealthy. We're terrible parents. Um, fear and doubt. Yeah, that's right. That's right, fear and doubt. Right? We, we're tempted to believe that. We're tempted to believe that because there's, we're not full that we're dying or something's going wrong or something's happening that we need to go in and fix and conjure up and, and the do. And, and what I need to remind myself and what I need to remind you of weekly is what the Lord is doing. The evidences of God's grace. And here's the thing. God builds his church. We don't. We're just here. And we're to be faithful, and we're called to be obedient, and we're called to, to share the gospel with the, our community and with those around us, but we are called to be obedient. But God is the one who builds his church. And in many ways, in our past, and really what we've grown up, look at that, I picked my water up, man, and drink it again. Uh, in many ways, what we've done is we've, we've been sold, and we've been buying into a lie that to be a church, you must be busy. And then you must have multiple ministries going at all the same time because that, with the multiple ministries and busyness and size, must equal something successful and something good is happening. Therefore, that must equate righteousness. And I want to tell you, that's right, Siri, what I want to tell you Brothers and sisters, do not buy into that. That small does not mean dying. Small does not mean suffering. Small doesn't mean minuscule. Sometimes it does, but not at this, in this context. It doesn't mean that we are to be mediocre, but trust and believe that God is doing something. And I hope you can see that. Does it look the same? Do we look like everyone else? Do we have the flashy buses and the flashy buildings and the big lights and the big sound stuff? No, we don't. But what we do have is the evidences of God's grace in our lives and what he is doing. Brothers and sisters, cling to that. And, and that's going to be my transition into, into what we're talking about today. Is that the work that God does is not the work that can be done by human hands. As much as we try to, as much as we try to, to build and do and fix our own lives by our own hands, when we see God lacking maybe in an area, like, God, why are we not doing this now? Okay, I can do that. When we, tr we try to fix what God is doing, and the call 
to the church and to the body over and over again as he's calling you individually is to trust in him. Is to trust in him. Stop looking to your own devices and your own ways and your own ideas to fix or even to doubt what God is doing just because one family doesn't show up. That was for me. Did not doubt that God himself is working and he is definitely working in our midst. I have, I have never been, and I know this isn't all about me, but I've, I have never been more satisfied and joyful in ministry than I have been in these last three, four months. There's not one thing that I have done thus far in serving you all and the planting of this church and moving forward. There's nothing that I have ever done that's been begrudging. I've never done it because I had to. I've done it because I wanted to. I've done it because I've been called to. You are, you are here and you are a part, not because it's easy. This isn't easy. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is different. This is different, but you are here because you see what God is doing. Don't believe the lies and believe in what the Lord is doing. Okay, context now into Ephesians 1. Let's start in verse 11. Now I'm going to get a drink. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the glory or to the praise of his glory. Now in verses 11 and 12, or in this passage, we have two categories actually being shown to us that we haven't seen before, and I want to share those with you. In verses 11 and 12 gives us that first category, and that's the, these are the categories of the Jews and Gentiles. Now, from this point to, or to this point, every single time we've seen the word we, it was an all-encompassing idea of the church, right? The Jews and the Gentiles, a part of the church in Ephesus, as well as Paul as included. But here in this point, we see something different in the word we. That we here is not the same, but we is what verse 13 is. I'm sorry, what verse 12 is. And that is the we who were first to hope in Christ. The we are those who were first to hope in Christ. Well, well, who were those who were first to hope in Christ? Is that us? I wouldn't necessarily say we were the first, right? So who were the first? Read the book of Acts. Be the disciples. It would be the Jews. It would be Paul, the apostle. So the, the we here in verses 11 and 12 that's being talked about is the Jews. Is the Jews. And this is an important distinction for us to make because what it does, it reinforces and it doesn't forget the promises that God made to the Jews. That God just didn't forget about them, but God was fulfilling 
his promises to the Jewish people. That he was fulfilling his promises to them. That he was giving them the inheritance that he said that he would give them. The promise that he has been given to them since, since the beginning. So those who were first to hope in Christ are, are the, the promised remnant. Go read later on and toward the end of Isaiah and the end of Jeremiah, you see him speaking of, or those prophets speaking of the, the remnant, those whom God will preserve. And those whom God will preserve for all eternity, we've seen here, being fulfilled right here and right now in the Jewish believers. Lottie Grace, please sit down. Thank you. Sorry. And so what it says here is according to this that we, the Jews, once again, just like ours and the church, the elect, their adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, as well as is is for the Jews as well. And their salvation was not based upon their lineage. It wasn't based upon their entitlement. It wasn't based upon tradition or some kind of moral superiority, but solely on the grace of God. And the promises that he was fulfilling was solely in the, in the, uh, by the grace of God in Christ. And they were being fulfilled in Christ. That all are saved by grace, never by man. Never by man. And this was happening according to our sovereign God, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of him who works all things through the counsel of his will. This is divine sovereignty. This is what we've been talking about for weeks on end now, is that this is flowing through this doxology, this theme of Ephesians. Verse 5, right? He predestined, uh, at the end of verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to his Riches of His grace. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. And what verse 12 shows us when it says that we who were the first to hope in Christ, this was, this was a hearty amen, exclamation by Paul who was a Jew himself and to those early believers that now their hope is finally realized in the perfect and in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that he believes and sees that it was only by hope and by grace that God has ordained in his divine providence that they would be saved and that they would be preserved. And it was all to the praise of His glorious grace. All to the praise of His glory. So that's category number one. Category number two is in verses 13 and 14 because the question has to be asked, well, what about us? Or what about most of the church in Ephesus? Ephesus was not predominantly a Jewish town. There probably was Jewish believers in the church, but it was mostly made up of Gentiles. What about the Gentiles? You see in verse 13 and 14 that Paul now brings in the inclusion of the Gentiles here and saying, you also. You also. This is, the, this is the inclusion of the Gentiles. You also have salvation by grace, just like the Jewish believers. You also now can cling to the same promises that God has given to the Jews. The same promises that He has given to them are now for us to claim in Christ. Same promises. Same inheritance. With no distinction. Same privileges. Same benefits. So if this is the case in what we see in this passage this morning, 
And once again, you can see verse 14 at the end there. It says, as well, to, to the praise of his glory. If that's the case, then, then we have three truths that I want to share this morning, that I want, I want to share with you. That is, that is this. Number one, that Christ is the grounds of our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. And Christ is the glory of our inheritance. So number one, Christ is the grounds of our inheritance. So far, as we've, as we've read through so many times now, Ephesians 1 here, we see already up to this point nine different times that it is saying that the grounds of our inheritance, the grounds of our salvation has been through Christ, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, through Jesus Christ, before Him, every single one. The grounds of our inheritance is in Him. Four times in this passage alone, in verses 11 through 14, does it say in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Him. The grounds of our inheritance, the grounds of the inheritance of the Jews was all in Christ. And so if this is our, the case, that the grounds of our inheritance is in Him, there are two perspectives here that I want to share with you. And that is a vertical perspective and a horizontal perspective. The vertical perspective, as we've unpacked for several weeks now, is talking about his, his predestination, his sovereign work that he has predestined. We see it once again here in this passage, not neglected, not thrown to the wayside, not swept under the rug, but dealt with. Dealt with for our joy to, to look back to and see that our justification, our salvation, our adoption, our redemption has been predetermined in Christ. And this is to show us that, that not any of our own merit, none of our strength, none of our talents, none of our, our, our gifts is what saves us, but only by God's sovereign grace. This is a, a vertical perspective that keeps us looking up, that reorients our hearts and our minds toward God, to cling and trust in His grace only. The second perspective of the vertical is His power. It's His power that He has done all of this according to the purpose of Him who works all things to the counsel of, of His will. His divine sovereignty. His divine sovereignty, meaning, meaning out of God's own sovereign, electing work out of his energies and his energies alone has he accomplished this work. When God has something or creates something, it works out exactly the way that he intends it to work out. When God has chosen to save us, he has chosen to save us, it will ex work out exactly when he has determined it. Everything happens according to God's sovereign plan, according to the counsel of His will. And we cannot count, question His will. It is always good. It is always great. So when we say God is sovereign, it is for us so that we would resist the temptation to believe that we can act in some kind of human way. We can act out in some kind of human way outside of God's sovereignty to improve things. That we have some kind of ability to thwart God's will or even ruin something. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? As, as, as the Lord just kind of continues to expose even our own sinfulness, and we've been talking about the doctrine of sin on Wednesday night, and, and as it just kind of exposes in us the darkness that still even resides there, we talked about the flesh, the pull of the flesh, that isn't it encouraging to know that no matter what we do and how we do things, that, that, that in our sin it will not destroy the will of God. It will, it will not destroy the plan that God has for us. That even though the evil one seeks to use those things to destroy us and to discourage us and to say you're not worthy or you're inadequate because of X, Y, and Z and definitely has the evidence to throw against us, but by God's glorious grace and the saving power of Christ on the cross and His redemption, that we cannot thwart God's plan and God's will for our lives. There's nothing. There's nothing. That's encouraging. And so that helps us to resist that temptation that we must act, that we must do, that we must build it ourselves because Jesus is not. Or he's a little slow here. But he's sovereign. And this is our comfort. This is our assurance for, our belie- for believers. This is our confidence, once again, that evil will not triumph, but God's plan will be fulfilled, and God's plan is, is good. So this is, the, this is the, the vertical perspective, I think, that gives us in, in looking in light of Christ's glorious inheritance that he has given us. And then there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a second one here, second one part of the vertical is power. We talked about that, but his horizontal perspective is the second one. There's a horizontal perspective. And the horizontal perspective says, it says this, it's just like what it says in verse 12, is this, is, this, is that they, have, they put their hope in Christ. And this was the Jewish believers, but isn't this what we do as well? And so the horizontal perspective is, is our response to the sovereignty of God. And our response to the sovereignty of God is that we place our hope in Christ. We put our faith in Christ. And the continuation of that we see in in verse 13 is what, what happened. That in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in Him and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 17, same thing. So faith came from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Our vertical perspective in light of the horror or the vertical or the blah, our horizontal perspective in light of the vertical and our response is faith and belief and obedience and hope. Why? Because we have heard the gospel. We've heard that vertical perspective how Christ came down and saved us. We've heard the word of God. We've heard the words of how God has communicated to us. We've believed by faith and by the grace of God. And now we daily exercise that faith. So faith isn't just a one-time deal, by the way. Like, we don't just exercise faith one time, and then that's when we get saved. But faith isn't every day. Faith isn't is an exercise. It's like learning how to walk. If you don't walk every day, you're not going to walk. You have to practice it. You have to put it into discipline. And so we believe. We believe every day, and what we believe, just like what we talked about on Wednesday night, is we're believing in the promises of God. We're believing in His promises. 
And then verse 14 says we've been sealed. We've been given the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. And my hope is we'll discuss that next week in a more lengthy way. So Jesus is the grounds of our salvation, vertically and horizontally. He is always working. He's working in both. And we can't go unbalanced here. We must have that vertical perspective to have a proper horizontal perspective. So Christ is the grounds of our inheritance. Number two, Christ is our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. Biblically, what we see in the scripture is that the heirs of a father would receive an inheritance. They would receive inheritance. What what has been passed down from a father to his children, and and biblically it's generally prioritized to the eldest son first. And they would receive a a larger sum than, than the rest would. And the hope of, I think, every father, I know it's the what my, my dad has told us is, is that his hope for us was being able to provide a, a better life for his children that they may succeed and not necessarily have to do what he does or had to do, right? And in part of the way that fathers do that is not only taking care of our children now, but we also provide with them an inheritance, something that would help give them a catalyst in the way forward in their life. And this is what an inheritance means. And this is what Christ has done for us, that Christ is our inheritance. And the primary inheritance that we have obtained for those who first hope in Christ, verse 11 and 12, for the Jewish believers and also for the Gentiles is the wealth of the inheritance as we have received Christ. And what's amazing about this is, yes, Christ is our inheritance, but he is the one who has given us our inheritance. He is the one who has provided that inheritance. So our inheritance is, is, is not just heaven. Like we want to think of this inheritance as just kind of this, this ethereal, heavenly perspective. And I, and I think that's definitely true in some point. It's not, nece- it's not wealth and riches, as some would say, that those who are truly in Christ will be blessed with great riches and big, beautiful homes and, and happiness all the day. It's not even the crowns that we've been promised. But our richness of our inheritance is that we get Christ. We get Christ. But what does that mean? What does that mean that we we get Christ? You know, it's it's in one of our songs, one of our favorite songs. We sung it last week, the song, In Christ Alone. It says in the third verse, it says, "For, For I am his and he is mine. You ever wondered what that means? What does that mean? What does that mean? I know I kind of understand that I am his, but what does that mean that he is mine? Well, this is it. This is it. That, that Christ is our inheritance. Theologically, we call that our union with Christ. We call that our, 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 our union with Christ. And, and, and that means four different things. Right? I'm going to unpack that for you. It means, means four different things. Our union with Christ, meaning that I am his and he is mine. The first one is that, that we are in Christ. And that's amazing because we're seeing that. Right? We're seeing that just flow through Ephesians. That we are in Christ. 
And we have been in Christ, as we've been seeing in Ephesians 1, since the foundation of the world. That it's always been God's eternal plan for the elect to be in Christ. You were also in Christ during Jesus' life. That you were part of that perspective of, of, of Jesus' life. That even you before you were born, you've always been in the mind of God. And that at that moment and then those times, Jesus has always been that perfect representative for us. He's always been our, our perfect representative. And what's amazing is that it's our... our, our, our um, the uniqueness that we take on in our identity when we are in Christ now. And the, and the Bible speaks of it. Galatians 2.20, Romans 6, we are now crucified with Christ. Why? Because you're taking on that identity of being in Him. Romans 6, 4-11, we have now been buried with Him and then raised in newness of life, just like Him. We are now in Christ. But we are also in Christ now, in our, in, in, in our lives now. Once again, we've died and we've been raised with Christ. We have new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old is passed away. And the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ during our lives now. You are new now. All of our actions now, in this life, we can do in Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. Every task in this life, every, every bit of work that we do, every bit of pleasure that, that we do, all can be done in Christ. Your job, your work, the people you encounter, all can be and should be done in Christ. Work and done as unto the Lord. We have been united together as one body and, and as individual union with Christ, joined together with the rest of the body as members of one another in Christ. This is our union. So we are first. We are in Christ. The second is, is Christ is in us. Christ is in us. John 15:5. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That he abides in us. That Christ is in us. There is a real personal work and idea in of this Christian life that Christ is dwelling in us. And this dwelling in us, as Jesus, as, he, as we, we kind of coined it as coming into our hearts, right? We kind of coined it as that, right? This is a mark of a true Christian. What it looks like, a person who's been saved and redeemed, is that Christ is living in them. That He is abiding in us. And the way that we know that He is abiding in us is by the fruit that is being bared because of that. The fruit that is being produced. Christ is in us. Number three, we are like Christ. We are like Christ. We are to imitate Christ. Right? Isn't that the call that we are to imitate Christ? We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. We represent, we imitate our King we don't do what, what we want. We do what He has called us to do. We're faithful to His, to being obedient to Him. And what does our disobedience do? Doesn't it mar that? 
Doesn't it mar that, that, that look or that mark of that union with Christ that we look like Him? No, we are to strive and to follow in His footsteps. Our, our imitation of, of, of Jesus is to continue more than more. And, and to be even more specific of what our imitation looks like is that we are told in the Scripture in Romans, in, in, in Romans 8 and I think also in 1 Peter is that our, our suffering... Our suffering is what connects us to look more and more like Christ. That in our suffering, we look more and more like Christ. Kind of shoots a hole, shoots a hole in the, the prosperity gospel. Romans 8, 16, 17, I mentioned earlier, says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. I like that, heirs, inheritance, right? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our suffering is going to come if we haven't had it already, and and, and it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, but it is in our suffering when we look more like Christ. Why? Why? Because you were looking... Lord willing, you're, you're looking to that greater perspective of what Jesus is doing. That it is for your good. And it's not there to crush you. Even if it takes your life, it gives you eternal life. We look and live with an eternal perspective. So we are like Christ, number four. Last one, we are with Christ. This is our personal fellowship with, with Jesus. The personal fellowship that we have with Jesus. When Jesus says that he will be with us, we can be sure that he will be with us and that he is with us. He has done this with the work of his Holy Spirit, sealing us, the guarantee that we, he is with us and he has always been with us. This is our union. This is our union with Christ. And this union with Christ is our inheritance. This is our inheritance now and forever. This inheritance that we have now obtained here and now and today when we have been saved, when we come to belief in Jesus, it is now. And it's to be enjoyed and used and worked out now. So if we're in such a close personal union with Jesus now, it's what enables our holiness. It is what en- enables us to, to fight the faith, the, the, the fight of faith, right? The fight against temptation. One of the, the books I, I read a while ago mentioned that in, in talking about the union with Christ and the communion that we have with him uh, gave, us, gave a great example in showing that, that when we give in to sin, and we, even when we let our mind give in to sin, or we go places and do things, and we delight in things that maybe we shouldn't, that in our union with Christ, we are dragging him with us. It's not the Jesus that we just kind of put in our backpack and hide and say, Jesus, you may not want to look at this thing. You may not want to go to the, see this movie that I'm going to go see. You may not want to go to this website that I'm going to. That helps us in our temptation. That promise that I'm going to be with you always is a fight for faith. It's a fight for faith. And I love Jesus' promise in John 10.10. He said that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life. 
But I have come to give you life, life abundantly. Once again, that's our inheritance. And it's not an inheritance that we will eventually enjoy, but it's an inheritance that we enjoy now. Is our union with Christ and our communion with him. That we fellowship with him. We delight in that. Christ is the grounds of our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. And number three, Christ is the glory of our inheritance. Christ is the glory of our inheritance. You see this running in, in, in verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in, in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, we talked about verse 12, talking about the Jews. Verse 14, for the Gentiles, for all, everyone now who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the passion of it or the possession of it to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. I love this. This is, the, this is kind of the, the capstone of this section here. Isn't it amazing that, that verse 3 talks about Paul going into this great glorious praise of this every spiritual blessing that God has given us and starting this doxology for us to praise Him and then ends it by saying to the praise of His glory. Why? Because Paul's letting us in on a little secret. That's actually not so little of a secret. That the ultimate end of God is to glorify himself. Is to glorify himself. This is what God is first and foremost about, is his glory. And that's it. And that's what he is doing. All of his will, everything that he is doing, in your salvation, in election, in adoption, in redemption, in sending Christ to the cross, everything he is doing, not only to the counsel of his will, but the counsel of his will is for his glory is for His glory. And the glory of God, right here to us, to the praise of His glory, the glory of God is the the highest degree in which we can honor Him, is to give glory to Him. Is to give glory to Him. God seeks His own glory. If we say that about one of us, if we say that about, about one of us, that wouldn't be a very good thing, was it? Why? Why would that be a bad thing? Why, why would that, be, why would that ba- be a bad thing for us? If God can do it, can I? Well, here's the deal. You are not the highest thing of all creation. You were created. And created beings do not go after their own glory, but they go after the glory of the one who created them. And that is God. And what caused sin? What was the fall of man? Man sought to bring about their own glory. Sought about their own honor. And sought about their own desires. That God's glory is not good enough, but I must seek for my own. Every sin, the root of every single one of your sins, the root of, of every single one of your temptations, and you're giving into that, temptation is you seeking glory for yourself. That's the root of it. That's, that is, that is the, the root of it. When we lose the scope and the grandeur of God's glory, 
and we lose the perspective of that you have been created to glorify God, when we lose that perspective of his, of his awe and his majesty and we become blind to it, we begin to live and exist in what is called mediocrity. You understand what mediocrity is? Jesus called it lukewarm, right, in Revelation. You're like lukewarm water on a hot summer day. Bah! Nasty, no good. I don't want it. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I want us to have a perspective of the glory of God and all for the majesty of God that everything we do as a church and individually is to the praise of God's glory. Not mine, not yours. And, and, and this is what's amazing. This is what I think is just marvelous that, that, that I saw this week when studying this and thinking about us, particularly in that, what I talked about in the beginning is this is what else can we say that when we gather, but we say, oh, this is God's work. I mean, we haven't done nothing. I'm, I'm not talented and cool. I'm not anybody special. We're not in some awesome place, and we're not in some great place, and we kind of got all of our stuff together, and, and we kind of brought all this multiple talents, and we, we just produced this whiz and bang, and then all of a sudden there's a thousand people. No, everything that we will do, we always want to look back and say, it is all because of God. And you know why he says this as well? Because he's going back to salvation as well. He's talking about salvation as well. He wants you to say it's all by God's grace. And if it's all by God's grace, then he singularly alone will have salvation. Or I mean, will have his glory. And this is a reminder for every single one of us every single day. Is that what we need to see in the scripture all the time, that it is always for his glory. God is always seeking to do things for his glory and not to bring you any. And when he does that, when he does that, he is doing what you need the most, and that is trusting in him. And when you trust in him, guess what? You will find happiness. And you will find joy, like we talked last week, finding joy in the resurrection, because you are looking to the supreme being in the universe the highest of all things, to God in his glory. It's so unfortunate how easy it is to become mediocre. It's so, it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate how easy it is for me to become mediocre. Because those little glories, those, those lesser glories seem so appealing. They seem so appealing, so easily to, to try to find satisfaction in them. And yet they only leave us, once again, in mediocrity and sadness. All that happiness that it promised us, all that comfort that it promised you, but it leaves you dissatisfied over and over again. It's like trying to pick up sand and, and, and hold sand or, or hold water. The buzz of that comfort, or whatever it was, was so short-lived. And satisfaction just seems so elusive. We must have an all for the glory of God. One of, my, one of my prayers has been over the last couple weeks for myself is the blindness that I have so easily toward the glory of God. And to always be in awe of His glory. 
to always be in all of his glory. And, and this is it. It's unpacked. You're like, well, what is the glory of God? Well, read over and over again Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and every spiritual blessing that he has revealed to us. That is his glory. Christ is his glory. And this is the glory that we hope in. The hope of the glory of Christ. The hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1-5, I love this passage. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained an access by faith into the grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Why can we rejoice in our suffering? Because we're hoping, glorifying God. Because we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. We hope in the glory of God. Church, we hope in the glory of God. We hope in the glory of God. Because in Him, and only in Him, have we obtained such a glorious inheritance that He has given us His Son. And that is to the praise of His glory. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you realize that this is what you were made for? Do you realize that this is why God put you on this planet? Why you were born was to bring glory to God? That this is what you were created for. All those lesser things are, are, are great and God has uniquely placed you in all those little places, but in all of that is to bring glory to Him. God has brought us together this morning for His glory. And Lord willing, He'll continue to gather us every Sunday morning for His glory. God will continue to build His church in this area for His glory. Glory. God will continue to sanctify you and make you more like Christ for His glory. And whether we like it or not, that God may even give some of us cancer for His glory, and we can rejoice in that. We will suffer, and we will be kicked out for His glory. We will be persecuted. We will, we will suffer. We will be told by the world that you cannot preach Christ. And we will suffer because of that for His glory. Why? Because Romans 5. Because we hope in the glory of God and suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame. This is what you were made for. This is it. And I want to tell you that now. Speaking for you young guys, for you young men in, in Savannah and Faith and these young men and Rick and, and I mean this, isn't it awesome we have such a younger group I love it for the young people I mean listen if you can catch that now and Violet and Miss Lori and Suzanne <laughs> Susan I'm just all these young people right isn't it great to see this now because you're gonna graduate from college you're gonna you're gonna get a job and eventually 10 to 15 years things are gonna just become very mundane. And you're going to question, what am I doing in this life? Am I wasting my life? 
And what's going to happen is you're going to realize you put so much stock in your job and you're going to realize that it doesn't fulfill. Even the amount of money that you might be getting paid or not getting paid is not fulfilling you. It's not fulfilling. And if you can catch right now that everything in your life and what you've been created for is for the glory of God, what a delight. What a catalyst for the, world, for the life you have ahead of you. I love teaching that to our students because that puts, puts them like 10 to 15 years ahead of me where I was. And I'm teaching that to you now. And, it, and now, it doesn't matter now what age you are, it's not too late. You can hope in the glory of God. We hope in the glory of God. And it's all to his glory because he has given us such a rich inheritance in Christ. He has given us himself. He is with us. He is in us. He is like us and we are like him. I am his and he is mine. And what we have obtained in Christ because it's by his glory and to the praise of his glory, this inheritance is imperishable. It doesn't expire. It's inexhaustible. It's never ending. Like, because you just don't, you don't get to the end of the delight in Jesus. It's like You don't come to that end and be like, oh, that was awesome. What's next? No, it's, it's inexhaustible. It's never ending. It's a delight that we get to enjoy now, and it's a delight that we get to enjoy for all eternity. It's Jesus. It's inexhaustible, and it's unending. It's unending. For I am his and he is mine, all to the praise of the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a great glory, such a great inheritance that we have in Christ. Such a wealth, Lord, that we have we've put aside and we've exchanged in so many ways for such lesser things and such lesser glories. Father, I pray for, for those this morning that, that seem to be just kind of moving in a mediocrity. And maybe they've, they've taken an inheritance that has been given to them by you and have has squandered it like the prodigal son. And they're staring at the, they're, they're staring at the pigsty and they're staring at the food that's so disgusting. And they think of the greater glory that is in Christ. I pray this morning that by your Spirit you will lead them to return to their Father who has not cast them aside, who has not disowned them, who has, who has not looked at them in disgust, but is waiting by grace and mercy for them to return. Lord, I pray we would put all of our faith and trust in Christ as our inheritance. We'd seek in that greater union with Him that you have brought us together with Him. That these promises that you have given us would be the very ammo we use to stand up against temptation and sin. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we respond now together that is edifying and glorifying and equipping and building up of this body this morning. To your glory, we pray all these things.